Sprint and quarantine combined. Sprinting 2020. All right, y'all. Welcome back to another hour, another day in quarantine. Brought to you by Just Us. Just Us. Uh, just Us. Another day. I know the last time I said my, my brain was like moving to mush, but at this point, it's just like, is mush? It is. It really is. Like I can feel it sloshing around in there. Mm-hmm. It's like liquid, just like hitting both sides of my dome at the same time. <laughs> the straight decomposed. Honestly, just- honestly. But we hope you guys are staying safe and uh, finding time to listen and, you know, build your minds up a little bit or just yeah. relax, to be honest with you. Get some uh, relaxing in. Definitely take some naps. Sleep in it. That's your business. Because that's your business. Like so, like okay. that. I also been embracing side projects and hobbies. I went to Lowe's and got garden supplies yesterday. I'm starting a garden. Why spend money on cucumbers when I can make my own? They're free. My sister has been trying to do a fairy garden in this time. What's a fairy? What's fairy. that? You have to look it up on like Pinterest, oh. but it's a thing. Like, it's a thing. Well, I think it's weird, but she likes it, so. I ain't got no time for all that. But we're back with our last episode of this season, which is wrapping up the, wrapping up the sprinting. Ooh, I, I actually, sprinting, I actually have, have the sound, because you know how I usually play the sound and then no one knows what it is, but now I actually have it. So the sprinting. And you on mute. You on mute. Take <laughs> off the space bar. That's about to be my newest thing for everything. <laughs> Jerry, that was like the worst execution of Zoom I ever saw in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just put that out there. <laughs> Get off the space bar. Just I go kept, full I on. I kept on forgetting. Commit. To I kept on forgetting. I kept on forgetting. Any which way, we're gonna wrap <laughs> up the sprinting today. Our last little part of it all. And as per usual, this episode is brought to you by the power of Zoom, the power of Miro, and also the will and faithfulness of Figma. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. So, following up from last time, where we ended up um, going over our MVPs and stuff for prototyping. Some of our team members moved into actually prototyping um, our idea out. And a prototype, essentially the way I like to think about a prototype is anything to help sell your idea. And it can be from any sort of fidelity. So there's sort of uh, paper prototyping, whereas you can just draw stuff down and like have people walk through it, um, to more high fidelity sort of prototypes that you know involve things such as coding out um, an entire experience or whatnot, or what or what have you. But prototypes are a way to sort of invite feedback um, into your process a little bit, but also create it in a way that is, I would say, realistic, in a sense, um, to what, you know, you imagined it out to be. Yeah. Sometimes, like you said, to get your idea across, but make it, make it real, like, so that people can actually see what you're going for. But sometimes, do y'all think that people get stuck on like the visuals 
of a prototype like so if it's like lo-fi they'll get stuck like well i don't know what this is that's that's a stressful part of prototyping too i think that should be addressed yeah i i go ahead sp well i just feel like there's so much nuance in design and communicating design mm-hmm. that prototyping is 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 it's almost like you have to make it super high fidelity. Like mm-hmm. in our case, we were bringing in people off the street, you know, who really didn't understand. Like, like, so if we're in an academic environment or we're around people who really like live and breathe apps, like a simple wireframe or a simple prototype. Oh, okay. I'm tracking. But people right. who are like not in that realm, they probably do need a lot more because they don't like, they don't know how to fill in the blanks for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think it's about knowing your audience a little bit and knowing who you're going to show it to and then taking it to that sort of fidelity. Because you're right, if you're just showing it to, you know, your potential users that are out from on the street or whatever, you might show them a piece of paper and then they'll be like, I don't get this. Yeah. Because they, they're not able to, you know, extend their belief to that point like a designer would be able to, you know, fill in those sort of gaps there. Um, for instance, if you were to show a designer a wireframe, they can fill in the you know spots for like colors and type and whatnot. But um, the average person may not be able to extend their belief. But so far, um, I can't even suspend my disbelief. And that's what I'm saying. It's a it's a lot about like setting that table up beforehand, even with um, people on your team to say, you know what, this is a paper prototype. But today we are looking at just interaction and just you know how the person will move through this flow and whatnot. I think a lot can go with being, um, a lot can go with setting that table and also that expectation of your hand to sort of level set everybody. Cause you're right, it can get convoluted when people start looking at, okay, well, is this gonna be blue or gray? And like this things that don't really matter and can be side conversation, don't matter at that moment and could be a side conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like, I know we're talking. We're ta- going to talk briefly about Figma and other prototyping models, but I really liked um, Marvel for that. Like the paper mm-hmm. sketch, like you can just draw out where the buttons will be and take photos of it, and the app will let you kind of like add hotspot to link. Like, okay, when you click this, this happens, or there's only one clickable button here. Mm-hmm. There's something about that being in the in between space where it's not just pictures. You can still get your hands on it, but it's still very bare bones. I really like that because you can just. Yeah paper away and start again right. I, I think it's something about like the like scrappiness to it all um because when you make something that's so polished sometimes it's hard to invite feedback because people think you're done yeah um, but then when it's still like on paper and it's scrappy you know is that sort of mindset that okay this can change you know this 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 can be balled up and thrown away and i think marvel is great for sort of bridging that medium between um I'm drawing it on paper and it can be thrown away, but I'm putting it on the phone's device so you can see the sort of medium it's going to live in. And, mm-hmm. I, and, and I think you're right. It, it solves that problem of um, being able to bridge in the gap between people's beliefs and whatnot. I agree. And that kind of brings me back to like our whole like sprint process too. Um, because it kind of ended up, I don't know how to say it, but it kind of ended up being like two twofold kind of in a sense because we thought they were gonna we that we thought well i thought um in the beginning they were going to be bringing like fully fleshed like screens not even necessarily flows but screens to give us an idea because they had already had the design system and stuff but then when we got to the meeting they were wireframes so it was like i don't 
I don't really know. And then it kind of, by the end of the night, it kind of progressed more because we had two meetings that day. Yeah, I think definitely for, for how we started, it would have been good to have those wireframes up front. And I wish we had done it, like done more of those sort of prototypes. Um, because I think having wireframes, we were able to see which flows we preferred and which mm. flows will be better without worrying too much about, without having all that cognitive overload of, okay, the vi- I have to worry about the visuals and like, why is this this way? And what about this movement? You know, you can have sort of one conversation at one time. Yeah. Um, I think we had the opportunity for the fact that it was an app to be declared sooner mm-hmm. and like the opportunity to um, delve into the the voice of that brand sooner. Because I think that's where our designers got like messed up. Because I know like they, they were comfortable with putting screens together, but what we were trying to accomplish, and we didn't recap, but generational wealth, building generational wealth and encouraging the black community to be more interested and involved in investing mm-hmm. in the stock market. Um, I think that like the, a huge part of that challenge was getting the voice right and kind of like making it like, you know, like palatable and making it like kind of fun and like being like a different vibe than usual. And it was just, that was a huge challenge in of itself. I don't think that should have been left up to the designers. Oh, no, definitely. I think that because like you said, like making that tone of voice palatable, but at the same time, because it's dealing with finances, you kind of have to make it serious too, so that people feel it is trustworthy. And I don't think that, I don't think that that should have been like a major concern for the designers, but I can see how that kind of, the tone feeds the design. Mm -hmm. So if they don't have that tone to go off of, then it could like disrupt the process a little bit. Actually, you brought a very good example when we, I remember when we were doing like our sketches phase, you had something with um, like different brands. It actually kind of looked like a freestyle Coke freestyle machine where the brands were kind of like floating across and it was like, select which brands like you're into. And I remember feeling like that was a task that could make people feel like they're into it and engaging and like kind of help bridge the gap of like, okay, well, these brands also have stocks that you can buy and it kind of catches you off guard in a way. Mm-hmm. And I felt it was successful. I felt that was a very successful way of presenting this because it kind of like, it is not so much pressure, you know, it's not how much do you want to invest today? How much can you save? Like, yeah. And I just remember feeling like stuff like that is what like would make the difference in the way that we bring people into this app. And that was the stuff that we kind of were like, well, we have some ideas for it, but we don't have anything to actually say. Mm-hmm. So we can't design that screen. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, go ahead, Jeremy. Oh no, you go. Oh, I was gonna say like, uh, with the with the like copy or whatever, like the UX copy and the the thing, like you don't want to use like a tone of voice that's pandering to black people because just because we're attract trying to attract those people, mm-hmm. you want to keep it like a happy medium. But I don't know. It was hard trying to write copy for. Yeah. For, yeah. But I also think to SP's point, sort of striking that balance of tone is a lot and also how you deliver your visuals and your experience um, because people begin to create that tone like in their mind, you know? So for example, when she was explaining, um, instead of having a sort of list that said, how much would you like to invest today? We instead chose to have like bubbles where you could, you could select your brands and then see, learn more about brands and stocks that way based upon what you like. Um, 
in, in, in that sort of way, when people were going through that experience or when people were to go through that experience, they would then be able to relate, okay, this is more helpful to me and therefore the tone is helpful from there. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of the relationship that I have with this sort of experience. I think tone also plays a lot into the relationship that you build with digital things or even yeah. anything. And that's like, that seems very much so like high level. This is some mystical shit. Like, what are you talking about? But um, I think it goes a long way when your experience, when your tone is derived more from just the words, but actually yeah. the experience that people go through. And that brings me to an app that we've all been using or like a platform that we've all been using. I don't know if I can say it on here um, just because of the partnership. <laughs> y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> <no> thing. <laughs> there is some stuff at stake, but because <laughs> I don't even know who we're talking about. You know, you do, you do know. know. Okay, you well, I guess you know what it is but their tone of voice is so like i don't i don't even know and then the experience isn't great oh yeah and so it just rubs me the wrong way so that just like you just made me think about that like your the tone that you build with within like your mind or the tone mm-hmm. that you can read things in come based off the experience that you're having at that time right yeah, yeah. So. and then like for example when we were moving through the process of getting started with that even the sort of um interactions that were set up or the flow which is very much so like all over the place when we're hit with certain like messaging it's like oh god like is, is this <laughs> even trying to help me do what this gonna do or is this else? Because that- because nothing about this experience felt helpful <laughs> to me at that moment. <laughs> so even if you even if you have the tone of like, let me help you out, or you know, I'm your best friend. If I've been through the fucking um, mud and weeds, I don't have to like. I don't think this is a help at, at this point. <laughs> and that is one thing. It's just worth mentioning to everyone who doesn't work with us, like on a day to day. Those moments of frustration. Or those moments of confusion, hesitation, like what are they asking me to do? Or like, where am I supposed to go next? That is bad design. And mm-hmm. it's the thing that we kind of are working to understand, wrap our heads around. When we do focus groups, when we go through user journeys, it's so that our prototype can uh, like reduce those instances of confusion. Cause it just makes the product less successful. It's harder to sell a product and mm-hmm. people are like, well, why would I go? and do this right now or like yeah i'm not feeling it right um, it's, it's all about those sort of marker moments you know yeah and those marker moments matter because they build up your opinion of, of an experience in total so let's say you got three touch points and at two of them three touch points the you're not you're not delivering the, you know the vibe of the promise that you want to have Mm-hmm. the person's opinion of, of your site or your whatever is going to be bad and they may not return they may not even want to use you know your stuff depending on you know how depending on their need for it at that time um right. so that's why i think moving through these wireframes and starting there in the prototyping phase allows us to sort of pinpoint out what are the important moments and then how do we get across our tone of being helpful in a better way so for example we knew one was the onboarding um, process and like like selecting you know, how much money you want to put into investing and what to invest into. 
And the sort of way that we thought about this was, okay, we can have a list of stuff. We can just have wording that's just like everyone can invest or to, um, which is one of the treasures ideas, we can put bubbles up based off of brands that you like and then show you the stocks based off of that, you know? Um, and in that moment, that's like, this is an experience that feels helpful because it's not only, it's not asking me much about stocks, which I don't know much about. It's asking me instead about brands that I enjoy. Right. One of our focus group participants made an observation that if they feel like they're doing something and they've kind of like won or succeeded and don't have a moment or feel smart about something and don't have that moment of like, oh, I don't know anything about this. Mm -hmm. They're more likely to be like embracing and want to engage with the product. Yeah, she said um, specifically that she wanted to leave the onboarding phase with nuggets that she could take back to people, like feeling smarter at the end of that phase, like without having to do anything, she wanted to feel like she was gaining knowledge in that process. So she could take it back to her friends, like, oh yeah, I know this, this, and it's an app. It's a cool app. You should check it out, you know? Right. And I think that's like, simple. A very powerful example can be lasting. Mm -hmm. Which relates back to the idea of just like the tone we're trying to get across, you know? Okay. <laughs> so moving on, when, when we were, um, after, after they had wireframed and sort of brought back the designs to us, we met as a team and we used Figma to go over and um, to go over and sort of iterate upon the flow that they had brought to us. They were wireframes at that point, um, but it was really helpful since we were, you know, since we're all apart now. Uh, having Figma is really helpful because we can each individually go in there and see where everybody's moving. And then I remember there was one point when I was trying to describe maybe how something, we should think about presenting something instead. And I was just able to hop in there and um, quickly sketch up what it would look or what I thought it should look like. Um, Gary, can you explain a little bit about what Figma is? Yeah, so Figma is a whole class for us once. Right, so Figma is a design and collaboration tool. Um, it's basically, it was built in a, it, it was built to be a web-based screen design tool. And what that means is a lot of times designers don't need the fully, the fully fledged stuff such as you find in like Photoshop Illustrator. So screen design tools have the capability to sort of focus on more requirements that screens would have. So like rectangles, circles, text and everything. Um, one of the other competitors to Figma is Sketch, which has been, prominent for a couple of years now. But the crazy part about Figma is it's completely collaborative. So if you think about Google Docs and how anybody can jump in and you know edit on the real time, Figma's the same way. So you can have a bunch of your design team in your design files at the same time and y'all can collaborate together to help you know create sort of greatness. And um, there's things such as like commenting and um, leaving notes and whatnot, but it becomes helpful for when, you know, you're remote or you need to just see a design file quickly or like express an idea that mm -hmm. you can get everybody into one spot and sort of they can see how you're doing it um, at one time. So Figma helped us out a lot here. I think if we had more time, we could have taken advantage of Figma in the way that we did with Miro. <clears throat> in previous phases, we were all like working on something in it and perhaps mm -hmm. we could if we had certain screens we could each have like assembled them how we thought or like augment them like how we thought they might work better or i think like, the flow stuff together also in like a consistency level if we you know had the time we could have used figma to create our own sort of design systems and rules mm -hmm. so that when we did have you know the designer going there and um 
excuse me, the, the other designers go in there and, and make things, they, were, they will be able to pull from design systems that we already had created. Because I think that was also a problem too, is that there was nothing set in stone, really. Yeah, it was like, how, um, nobody knows what this is supposed to look like, so. Yeah. Yeah. But even when it came down to like type selection and colors and stuff like that, it wasn't consistent. And I know when I'm designing stuff, if I don't have that stuff down packed, it makes it hard to do other things for some reason. I think it's just me being a, a visual person at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to sort of see how things can come together before they come together. And if I'm just messing with like text and stuff, I'm just like, I don't know what is happening right now and I sort of need to leverage on my colors and whatnot yeah and I I think that's where um how like sprinting is kind of like really powerful because we could have we could have honestly done it in phases like this is this phase where we figure out you know what it is that we're doing in the next phase mm-hmm. we add we kind of iterate and, and like kind of you know taking that agile approach and constantly looping around to iterate um using the sprint model I don't, I don't know, but um, I feel like it was a lot that we were trying to co- achieve mm-hmm. with no real direction, but I think the sprinting got, got us to a place really fast, and now it's a, like now we can honestly like c- continue to iterate on the design that we have. Even mm-hmm. if we want to come up with a new like design or brand identity, we can do that. Yeah, I, th- I think sort of looking back would have been helpful to, to set in the beginning what we wanted to achieve by the end of the week mm-hmm. and say and really be honest with ourselves and say you know we're spending a lot of time we may not have time to make a complete app with high fidelity screens but what we might be able to do is at least get wireframes down like the research we've done or so even scale better. back get a brand yeah like and what it stands for and what the colors because you were talking about being visual and needing that to be able to design. I always need to know why, you know, mm-hmm. like if we pick this snappy color, why, you know, and mm-hmm. what is it that people like about this and how can we go based on what we know to build and move forward? Yeah. I, I think going in with, going in with a goal definitely is something that I don't know if it was mentioned in the sprints or the manuals, but I think going forward is something that I will always try to include as part of, the group you know here's my goal but do y'all think this is achievable and then what should our goals be and sort of have that um listed out on the board i remember when i was doing an event planning and i was leading the retreats and whatnot i, w- I would put our goals for the retreat weekend up on the board and or up up in the room that we were in um so you always saw what those goals were and then every day we were like how close are we to those goals and i would sort of move our little marker Mm-hmm. along the track but just to keep everybody on track to make sure that we were all sort of thinking the same thing um, and that's the idea of being in the room mm-hmm. but we did establish a goal and we did just dis- establish how might we questions but i did note that none of those goals meant anything like didn't necessarily tie themselves to an app yeah they were all abstract goals you're right and it, and it, I, I think if we kept it abstract then it should have stayed sort of abstract high level which high level. is like brand identity could have came in to play more. i think a brand identity would have been more useful than let's go out and make these app screens at this point mm-hmm. since we were you know trying to stay so so high level and didn't have the um well honestly we just didn't have the time to really right. dive deep into you know flows and everything like that we maybe could have written down like mvp sort of states um which is most viable product um, sort of state. So like the onboarding flow, we know was important. We wanted to see this screen and this, that, and the third. 
Um, but I think going in and actually designing and making the stuff got to where it was like convoluted because we didn't have the information that we needed to, you know, be successful at it. Yeah, and that kind of leads us into our testing or our lack of testing. Mm-hmm. Like we were not able. <laughs> <laughs> we because we weren't able to like solidify honestly what it was that we were testing we didn't even get a chance to test like we had screens but did those screens make sense to test like was it an actual flow like we yeah. i think we got so we got lost in the sauce honestly i think that's mm-hmm. what happened um because you're right i don't think we had an actual tangible goal um yeah. But that's actually the beauty of prototyping as well, because if, if, for instance, if we had more time to go into this, perhaps we could have made something that like gelled together more. Mm-hmm. But if a company were to try to say, you know what, let's see what we can do for here. And it all just falls apart. And it's like, okay, well, maybe we're not in the right industry for this. Or maybe like the stated problem needs a different type of solution. And that learning still happened, mm-hmm. you know, like, like we were still able to kind of wrap our heads around like a lot in this time frame without yeah. being able to have a physical thing to present to market. Yeah, I do believe, though, that, you know, in a sense, we were able to test, we were able to validate a market and we were able to validate a user, mm-hmm. not, not a user, but like uh, validate the problem that we're trying to solve. So in a way, it kind of helped us like we did complete the sprint model just not to test the screens but to test the idea that we had yeah and i think like we're all going around the same idea we've been as we've been going on um these past couple episodes but going in with the intention of what you're sprinting for and i think there's a clear divide between sprinting to make and sprinting to learn Mm-hmm. Um, and in this sense, we definitely sprinted to learn and see if the idea was viable before we can, because, you know, the beauty of a sprint is you can literally do as much as you, as much of them as you want to. Mm-hmm. So you could literally take down the phases of the design sort of process, which is usually discover, define, um, iterate and test or something like that. Yep. Uh, whatever that triangle, y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay. Right. That diamond thing. I think you can sprint over each of those phases so let's say we're in the discover phase let's sprint seven days or whatever and just discover and learn as much as we can about this topic and then at the end of that we're going to define our sort of how might we great now to take that how might we let's sprint again in the define sort of phase and refine it you know test it maybe get out a product maybe get out a prototype cool we have the prototype we move to the next sprint which will be um testing iterating so let's get out a bunch of in front of people ask questions you know to get it out and then, you know, by the end of it, have a viable product that we can then, like, reflect and move forward on. Mm-hmm. Um, and which, those are the phases of design. Right. So whatever mm-hmm. you're doing, you can still take those things and kind of understand, like, okay, these, these are the parts right. that to go about it. Right. Yeah. But I definitely think, I don't know, I think sprinting around those phases could be very interesting. I've never done it that way. But now, like, having thinking about it, I think it, if you had a month, and you could just, you know, by the end of this month, we want to have a fully developed product. That might be the way that I sprint around that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, because, uh, right, especially when you don't have an already established brand and audience and stuff like that, where you're doing a lot of the legwork. Um, because if you have an established, let's say, app, you don't need to go back through, you know, the beginning of the, of the phases because you have that already established. 
you know, you have the data, you have the user base, you kind of know what the problem is. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can kind of refresh it, but you don't need to spend so much time on it. And I think that could be a valid method for anybody, like any like entrepreneurs that's trying to get started um, when they don't know where to start too, like mm-hmm. they're trying to come up with an idea on something that they want to sell or an app that they want to create, like taking the design, the, the design thinking process and like just sprinting on all those ideas and that can come up, that can create something very like valuable really quick. Yeah. Like you never know where you're going to end up from right. sprinting. You, you, you think you're steering the ship in one way and that shit just go wherever the world just won't take it. You know, uh, but what are some things y'all think we would have done if we were able to get around to it, testing it out? Let's hmm. be like you got a lot on your mind. Well, I think that. Or maybe what were some things you would like to see sort of come up from the testing? So, okay, so I think, I think specifically about our focus group participants and mm-hmm. how much they enjoyed the discussion about this product and this project and i really would like to see who our final user is and what they find useful because we kind of were matched up with people who had different needs i think than Mm -hmm. what we kind of came up with but i do think that there was a lot of space like in what they were expressing as a need for us to kind of like maybe even dial it back a little bit and like not go full hard into like investing and like more into like financial planning and like like just kind of like peeling back some of the tense layers of talking about money. Yeah. Um, so I think that's kind of where like our testing probably would have gone. They probably would have been like, you know, like, okay, like I get it. I do understand what you're trying to do here, but I personally, it doesn't resonate with me because I'm not there. Yeah, and I think that's that's opportunity for us to sort of segment that market more Mm -hmm. Um, because everybody that's dealing with money, or we can say our audience was already Black people dealing with money, but even within that audience, there's different mindsets that people have Mm -hmm. when they're approaching this sort of investing idea. Um, And I think picking a sort of primary mindset that we were trying to invest on, which I think ours was a little bit on investing as a group. Sort of aspects, you know, people who need that teammate um, could be an uh, idea or mindset behind why people, you know, choose to invest. Oh, because my friend is doing it and we can do it together sort of thing. Um, And really figuring out what those pain points were for those people and what they, you know, what their needs and frustrations were as well. And then kind of making our idea for them, you know, um, great for some people, but good enough for everyone. Um, so we could have made it so that it was very much so built upon, you know, our primary target, but could be used by everybody else that was interested in investing in the stock market. Yeah, I would be interested, honestly, in testing this thing for like doing like a week long focus group and simulating um, maybe like a, the group dynamic and in like investing as a group um, mm-hmm. to see if it's effective, to see if. Yeah, for people. I think that that would be a very interesting way to to test it and to have a sort of. You really don't even need to make it. You could sort of. Um, have y'all watched The Circle on Netflix? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, essentially, like the I, I, what was her name? The AI. Did she have Lana? Was no, it Lana? Lana wasn't too hot. To oh, yeah, I watched a lot of trash TV. 
<laughs> Any which way, the 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 AI of the circle essentially was social media. You know, it just wasn't social media that you didn't have to get on on your phone, but they stood in for that. And I think you could have done something similar in this if you had it for a week, where you could simulate like, okay, y'all, here are the stocks. Here's the, here, like here's how this game's gonna work, and sort of set the rules. Like you you send the money to me or you fake money or whatever, and just kind of see how people naturally work in this space. I think it'd be very interesting in figuring out how you then go off and make a digital implementation of that. Yeah. And, you know, and when we talk about solutions, um, like obviously I have like more of like psychology background. So I, I, I see the value in gamifying things, mm-hmm. but I also feel like it's not represented as much like the actual like psychology behind it Mm -hmm. and for this particular topic i think with money as complex as money is and how like far back those experiences go and like those like emotions and the attitudes got developed in the crib like all those things like i feel like there's a space for us to like delve into there and to like understand the problem deeper or like find ways to kind of involve like young people or like family or like whatnot because I just I felt like in our discovery we were finding the topic to be much deeper than whether or not I know how to invest Mm -hmm. and if we were geared towards offering something to the black community as a whole it Mm -hmm. seemed like there was a lot of opportunity to kind of like understand what else could be offered right I think there's there's definitely a bunch of different ways to test and depending on your budget and your time (laughs) will most likely dictate the one you do. I do think it's always, I advocate for always test at least with one person, any which way, how, whether that is showing them your laptop and being like, this Mm -hmm. is how you walk through it and sort of move them through it. You know, having a prototype that you can, you know, use Marvel or even Figma and all these other prototyping tools sort of have extensions where you can open up on your phone, just like open up and show the people. But I think it would have been interesting for this one is if we even set up a little like social experiment amongst people, like gave them like fake monopoly, like gave literally gave them monopoly money mm-hmm. and was like, you were, this is how you learning how to invest as a group and sort of watch them, like how they did it and how they achieved a goal at that point. Because I think at the end of the day, the real task that we're trying to learn here is how people sort of view collective money and also work in teamwork toward a collective goal yeah and i think there could have been a lot of transcendental learning if we just saw if we gave people a simple task like you have this collective part of money y'all are trying to do this how would you do it and sort of let them figure it out and then we as designers can sort of extrapolate that learning and then you know use it to spin our cogs and whatnot it's it's, it's a lot that like sp when you mentioned psychology I think it's a lot that psychology can do to help in understanding people. Um, And so I definitely recommend even just like, you know, if you're in college, take an introductory like psychology course, which I think everybody does, but uh, like pay attention to sort of like social behavior cues and like Pavlov and all his experiences, you know, how to enforce uh, reinforcements and stuff like that. Because now as a designer, because I took, I was a psychology major at one time before I switched to IT eventually. Um, but I always remember that some of that stuff that I learned in psychology is definitely coming up now in the design sort of world, like group think and all this other stuff that I never, you know, I was like, oh, I have to be a therapist to use such sort of things. But no, it's like really 
when you're working with people and designing for people, it kind of takes the understanding of, you know, how humans work. Yeah. And I'll go ahead. No, keep on going. I was just going to say, like, um, if you see, though, like, when you consider going into a career like uh, HCI, like human-computer interaction or Mm human-centered design or even UX, a lot of times the people who are entering those those spaces come from a psychology background. Like, they have Mm -hmm. psychology background. Like, maybe not, they don't have the design chops, but they have the understanding of how people operate and how people interact with different mediums. Right. they make good like UX designers because they already understand human behavior. All right, which is why UX is a fun field because literally you don't have, there's no prescriptive way about how you can get into it right. and what sort of, like, you know, I think the people, at, and this is probably a conversation for another day, but the people at the, the people at the top, you know, try to say you must have X, Y, and Z to be a UX designer. And it's like, yeah. you really don't though, you yeah. know? you should have a appreciation understanding of it maybe but you don't need to have those sort of skills right because we're in a, we're in a very collaborative environment where the person that you're working with might be able to fill in your holes in the same way you're able to fill in their holes so if you come from a psychology background and you're like fuck i can't design for nothing that doesn't right. mean you're not worthy it doesn't mean you can't you know fulfill this role because you'll be able to pick up things like we're you know we're talking about right now like testing and stuff where your skills will come to the forefront or superpowers will come to the forefront at some time, you know? Um, but I, sometimes I wish more people saw it that way and less Me about. too. And, Me too. Yeah. I wish more people saw it that way. And, and just like less about, oh, you have to design something that's beautiful and you have to learn about visuals and you have to be able to do X, Y, you have to be able to code. Like you, there's no requirements here. There's a, really a bare minimum. Right. Um, it's just really just giving a damn about people. And that you, we can save that for another episode. That's, one, that, <laughs> that's that a good one. one. We can. We can topic in itself. We can write that one. Yeah. <laughs> what is experience design? What is experience design like? Like the gatekeepers are out here trying to close the gates on everybody. Everybody, uh, even on experience designers. But we ain't gonna get into that today. <laughs> but back at the back of the topic of testing, yeah, I think definitely uh, what could have helped us out is testing um and just showing the design to people and even testing the idea um and getting in front i I know we tested a little bit with the focus group but after we uh re-engineered a little bit getting it back in front of those people and be like hey you know we've been thinking about this too i know you've been thinking about it let's revisit the idea and let me walk you through some stuff yeah um and see how that all goes can i just um i know we're gonna wrap up soon but speaking of testing i'd like to insert the cautionary tale of the iowa caucus vote thing and the lack of testing (laughs) they didn't test the damn thing it didn't it's very important to test because you know when we were talking about all these struggles of like what is our thing and how are we gonna get people from point a to point b those details is where prototyping and testing get is like Mm-hmm. the champion mm-hmm. because if you if you don't think about it you're not like okay well i've gone here and now where where am i in the app people are not going to know and they're not going to understand what to do and things will fall apart you won't realize like oh there's going to be a lot of people pressing this button this mm-hmm. button needs to have this amount of data behind it mm-hmm. like people aren't going to understand these things if they don't test and iterate and then test and iterate and- and like part of it is not like saying anyone's a bad designer for not testing, but testing can only benefit you. You yeah. know, if, 
it testing only can benefit you if you ask the right questions and if you sort of put people in that situation because people will do things that you can never have intuited you know uh, I would say a lot of design is very much so into just like intuition. Oh, here's my gut, you know, after you've built up a lot of, you know, once, you, once you've been around the rodeo a minute, you'll be able to intuit a lot of stuff, but you're still going to miss it and you're still going to have those holes. And that's what testing sort of brings the like opportunities that you, you know, may have not thought about at that time, you know, right. like, like SP saying, you may have been like this button, no one's going to click on this button really because it's not, you know, important in the grand scheme of things. And you get to it on day one and everybody on that button. And then, you, <laughs> and then they're like, wow, why can't I, why can't mm-hmm. I find this certain thing? Why can't I do this? You know, that could have came to light if you had just showed even just one person, one or two people, you know? Yeah, that's true. I, I tested something with an older woman and that was helpful because we were over the phone and she's like going through, I can hear her kind of reading out loud to herself. And I'm like, okay. I see where this could be confusing. Like she was like mutually beneficial. What do you mean by that in this context? Like that means something different to me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. like frustrated, but at the same time, that's how people will experience it. Like yep. regardless of what my intention is, like if I'm not there, yep. what are they gonna think? Yeah, which which goes back to our earlier conversation about tone and how all that stuff sort of matters when you're painting this. When people are imagining this invisible tone in their head about your app your brand your anything you know every 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 little thing matters and it's why I, I know for me sometimes I scrutinize over the little things because it, like it it does you know down down to it that little it small experience matters to somebody and will affect their view you know upon the overall experience you want them to have yeah. We need to table this for our what is experience design conversation because yeah. I'm getting me all riled up. <laughs> yes. Because so. it matters with TV shows, with pot, it just matters even, on every single level. Even job applications, y'all. I was filling out a job application to TikTok and that damn application. Crazy, right? They're looking for strategists. Self evaluation. What does, with no explanation, what does that mean? What am I supposed to put here? What am I supposed to evaluate myself on what criteria? You have yeah. given me nothing. But like y'all said, we can say that conversation for, uh, for another and day. And we shall. Come, Wrapping, coming at you. Right, coming up. <laughs> Wrapping up the, the sprint team, though. What are y'all's general reflections on the whole sprint methodology, the, the stuff we went to and whatnot, the stuff we went through and whatnot? Because I would love to do another sprint. Having known what I know now, I definitely think it's something we can iterate and design and test on, but even make it better uh, the next time around. But I think I enjoyed just like a lot of the learning that we got from it. And even the part of like getting to work with your, I know a lot of designers I work with are my friends. So like getting to work with your friends and sort of having that camaraderie and like, it's almost like we were hanging out a little bit and work don't feel like it's work when you're hanging out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, I just enjoyed sprinting. And now that we've had these conversations, I definitely can see new opportunities for us to sort of uh, make it work better for us. Yeah, I enjoy sprinting. Sometimes I think it's tiresome. It will take you out. But I enjoyed the the process, like you said, enjoy the learning and just getting and diving deep kind of into the topic of financial and like generational wealth amongst the black community. 
I thought it was really interesting. And then um, being able to play a role as a strategist and actually create my like a creative brief along with Jessica, I thought that that for me was very like got my uh like gears turning. So I really enjoyed that process to like the to front end the whole sprint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would sprint again. Um, I talked to one of our teachers about this. Would I facilitate one of again? our former teachers? Yeah, it's true. Again, and I would like to because um, as I was looking up resources on how do I do this or how do I manage this phase or situation, I kept running into people who had done many, like between them, like three hundred different sprints, and I could see how like their people knowledge grew in that, like Mm -hmm. in just kind of how like people need certain guidance from point A to point B or just kind of like the overall structure for the day and like timeliness. And I just felt like a lot of leadership skills could come out of that. Um, and even just doing it one time, I saw like opportunities for me to grow and things that I learned, like genuinely learned that would make things more like convincing, more compelling next time, like easier for people to follow. Um, and yeah, so even us talking about it has been super helpful for me. Uh, I would do a sprint again as a participant um, and I would do it again as a facilitator, um, but it was really hard. I will say that, like the timeline of it was hard. Like the facilitating was like, like that's stuff like that stresses me out. It was also your first one too. And I think- Yeah, and it was remote uh, collaboration. Right, so right. I think- the odds were against you from the- odds <laughs> were against me. <laughs> you know what, listen, that's my life. We love a good underdog story. <laughs> you definitely but not. it. Thanks. I absolutely really appreciated you guys being there for that first because I know now like my next opportunity to sprint will probably be in a professional capacity. Mm -hmm. So it's like either is that does that mean that I'll have to be convincing my team to let's try this or you know will that be me having to be the one to help like lead and facilitate or whatever it could be Mm -hmm. but at least I have like like experience with a group that's means means business for real like it's Mm -hmm. not like we just phoned it in and whatever like we really did try to do a good job with it and like we learned a lot so and and, and i mean i even think you can you know pull together and just say i want to try this again before i do it in the professional setting you can always be sort of building up your sprint base and you know practicing different methodologies and different things and might even turn to the damn business at that point you know that's true like traveling to teach other groups how to sprint yeah that's and, you true. know fall in line with your methodology girl you can trade anyway that's a conversation for another day enterprising uh, right enterprising. had a letter e <laughs> but no that wraps up the good old sprinting 2020 He's trying. Aww, He's trying to break it out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for rocking with us for the past, how many weeks has it been? Five? Five weeks, yeah. Five long weeks in quarantine, but, you know, we have arrived at the end of Sprint Team. Yeah, and um, I think my challenge to y'all is Go out there and sprint with your buddies. Go out there and sprint with yourself. You can really, um, we're going to put the links to all the resources and stuff like that in our bio, not bios and descriptions and whatnot. But you can really sprint by yourself if you're really trying to get this idea out and take some of those method, 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 methodologies, right? Methodologies. 
methodologies. That's it, right? I I guess so. Anyway, y'all get y'all know what we talk about. Right, know what you're talking about. But above all else, save your money, invest. We've learned that it's not that hard. It is hard. I'm not even gonna lie. It is hard and painful. But I think a doable. Yeah, yeah, it's rewarding. But doable and rewarding when you can, you know, see yourself making money without even having to without even having to think about it really. You know, once you got it working for you, it's working for you. And like you said, and like from the words of the late Miss Betty Wright, God rest her soul, no pain, no gain. And with that, see y'all next week. (laughs) (laughs) Bye.